This podcast episode is brought to you by Iron Source. Iron Source are not a spinach-based nutrition company, as their name might suggest, but are actually a game tech company which builds technologies that help you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is a perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor of Fun are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on over to ironsource.com, ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Twig 71. On the podcast today, we have myself, Joe Kim, Adam Telfer, and Eric Kress. Today, we're going to be covering four articles. First, Fortnite Chapter 2 Season 2 is live. Everything you need to know by PC Gamer. Second, what the Facebook view-through attribution changes, and this is a blog post on the Algolift blog by Paul Bowen, their CRO. Third, Bethesda follows Activision in pulling games from NVIDIA's GeForce Now by The Verge. And finally, Call of Duty to launch free Warzone Battle Royale by The Next Web. How's it going, guys? All good in the hood. All right. So we do have a few updates. I can go ahead and kick that off. So first update, just wanted to start by talking about a couple of notable game launches, at least notable for me. First is Jam City Bogota just launched World War Doe on February 20th, so check that game out. Congrats to Alejandro and Jairo who lead the team over there, and good luck to those guys who are really, really cool people. And also, Huge Games is publishing Bowland, developed by Finnish gaming studio Double Star, which is a 3D Archero. Now, there have been a massive number of rumors about various Archero fast follows coming to the market. So it will be interesting to see how these do and if anyone is able to actually add significant innovation or to be able to gain significant market share after they launch. I personally felt like the Boland execution was quite good. And, but what we'll see, you know, if we look at the current metrics for both of these games, it's kind of still too early to tell, but. Um, you know, I'm not going to comment on this because they're your buddies, but. Uh... <laughs> Just look at the beta metrics. You take revenue divided by downloads. <laughs> okay, one other update. Project xCloud preview to iOS. So last year, Microsoft launched a preview of Project xCloud, its game streaming service similar to Stadia on Android. And as of February 12th, Microsoft has been accepting a small number of testers. I believe that number is around 10,000 or so. Uh, I have also registered, so hopefully I can get into that. Finally, I want to make a very self-serving announcement that there's a launch of a new weekly games newsletter. If any of you are familiar with Kenny Liu's Clueless Games newsletter that is now transitioning to GG Digest. So Kenny got a few of us together, so myself and game design badass Jeff Witt to jump on with them. And we're gonna add a bit of editorial and experiment with different kinds of games content really just started so if you are interested feel free to go to ggdigest.com and sign up now any other updates guys i got nothing i uh, i'm actually a little bit shocked that i got no feedback about this tim sweeney thing um so 
I guess that that means that everyone that listens to this podcast must agree 100% with what I said. So I'm, I'm going to make that assumption going going forward. I assume that that, that You're is only emboldened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now I have yeah the uh, the uh, the fetters are off, and now I'm going to go crazy. And then yeah. the other update uh, is, is I looked into this goose game, which I I had known that won this dice awards, and uh, and I just said it in passing the last time. It is freaking ridiculous that this is winning game of the year. I mean, I don't care how like beloved it is or how cute it is or how sweet it is. It's like, you know, for the Dice Awards, like if you want to stay relevant, be fucking relevant, right? Because like this is, this is ridiculous for something, a game like this to make game of the year with like how big this industry is and how, how influential these games are. You know, like there's so many things that are more deserving than something like this little podunk game on Switch, right? So anyway, I, I want to reiterate my objection to uh, those type of awards that are just, I don't know, feel good type things as opposed to like what's actually driving the industry, you know, and, and DICE in, in general should be more of a high level type, uh, you know, awards thing, right? Anyway, so that's, that's just who, my Who quick. do you think should have won besides Goose Game? I mean, as like the most like kind of influential or big game of the year? Yeah. I mean. Like Control, Sekiro? Yeah, I think stuff like Control, which is is relatively innovative, is definitely one of them. I mean, for something like Dice, you could basically say Apex, or you could say even mm-hmm. you could you could actually call out, um, um, I don't know, like any of the user generated content stuff, like you know, Roblox or not Manticore because they really don't have a product yet, but like. I mean, that's the way I would approach awards when it comes to things like dice is I would things like think about what things that impact the industry as a whole, right? Like mm-hmm. what is a real like uh, proof of concept or uh, innovative uh, game design that, that will help impact, you know, the future of gaming type thing. I mean, a little I, like I don't think Sakuro should win anything either, frankly. I think that game is not big enough or, or meaningful enough, right? So anyway. Yeah. Um, I think it's just very niche and core and it's, it's only relevant to dorks like us. Right. Like I think it's these award shows should, um, I don't know, just award games that are actually far more broad in their appeal. Impactful in the industry and showing future facing trends, but maybe not were say rewarded financially because I'm assuming call of duty doesn't need another award about their game. Yes and no. I mean, I think, what's interesting about call of duty is that you could make an argument that they have moved from a map pack system to a purely online yep. thing, which is a big deal for them. Right. Uh, that's a big transition for them. Um, and a transition for the industry. Now I wouldn't give them an award for that, but I'm just saying that's a big deal, right? That's far more big deal than a goose game, you know, right. <laughs> goose stealth action game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I read the description. I almost threw up in my mouth, you know, like I'm coming to pick it up for switch. Honestly, uh, <laughs> it, it might crack your, your investor skin. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> no, nope. Nope. Okay. First article, uh, Fortnite chapter two, season two came out and now it's live. And my son has already spent like 25, 30 bucks or something insane uh, to get the season pass and some levels. Um, unfortunately, I think this is a bit disappointing, you know, given how long it took to come out. Um, you know, they have some really cool gold characters and gold stuff in the game and lots of bananas and things like that that are <laughs> somewhat appealing. 
The only thing that looked really cool to me was that you could, uh, the ability to customize characters, which may be a sign of things to come in which they become more of a user-generated type content thing. I think that's, he keeps talking about it, but there's really nothing in Fortnite that allows you to do that. But you can basically, the characters that you win in game, you can customize uh, and change different aspects of, of, the, of the character. That's kind of cool. But unfortunately, the map changes were really minimal. There was really no, there were a few new points of interest, but nothing all that dramatic. Um, it didn't seem like the new engine had any impact on game. I'm not really quite clear exactly what happened with that. Uh, but overall, it feels a bit disappointing. Nothing really that dramatic. And it doesn't seem like anything that's going to be really kind of re-energizing the audience that I can see anyway. And so I guess my question to Adam and, and Joseph, I guess, is there anything that can kind of reinvigorate this audience and, and get them back into the game? Or is this kind of the end uh, or, you know, the, the slow demise of, of Fortnite? What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I'm not sure if either of us can really answer this. It's almost as if we need to bring on your son to get a real, <laughs> the, the real feedback on this, right? Like, uh, I don't play enough to be able to give a sense, but um, no, with the new season, right? Like just watching this Twitch stats, just it's the, the uplift that you look at from the baseline is not nearly as big as they need to. Um, so if this is already the peak, it's just going to keep dropping for the next foreseeable future. Um, especially when you compare those curves and those uplifts to Apex or to Modern Warfare's recent, recent seasons. So yeah, uh, I agree. The map changes seem pretty minimal. Um, and the theme just doesn't seem that compelling to players, um, as you can see from the Twitch sets. Um, this time they focused really like everything really on that like secret agent theme with lots of locations, filmed with armed guards that you can kind of like sneak into, et cetera. Um, so clearly they're like, instead of saying making lots of map changes, they're making more feature level changes, like new features on the map. Um, so from a limited perspective, you think this could actually resonate more, right? Like could actually create more compelling gameplay situations, but in the same, in the same way, it doesn't seem to be actually resonating with players. So I agree, assuming to move to a new engine or land would actually give them more of a tool to be able to build those larger map changes faster. Since I'm assuming they saw that from chapter one, um, that, that bigger map changes, uh, create more re-engagement. Um, biggest thing I would say, it took them about over 17 weeks um, to get out this season versus the previous one. And I think now they're starting to get back to a 10-week cadence, but I think that continued decline after some of the rougher seasons last year, that 17 weeks definitely did not help. And I think going to a regular predictable cadence is very important for live content. And I think uh, Apex is actually doing this pretty well. Um, and I think there's a good GDC talk by the Path of Exile guys about how important it is to have a regular cadence that people um, sign up for. Um, other thing is around their meta, but to be honest, I would rather um, talk to a Fortnite expert about this type of thing, about which types of weapons and traps are useful, which aren't. I'm assuming, um, looking into it yesterday, it seems like the meta is changing to be less trap heavy and more about weapons, um, as well as players are complaining around things with cross-play where they've made certain weapons say more random and spray more in order to make sure that players across platforms can actually play against each other um, but overall it's really hard to knock epic on this because like they're literally throwing every all of the resources at this game and actually making content that feels fundamentally different right like i don't think any other company can can boast the amount of changes that they're doing um, on on nearly a quarterly basis including mechanics like mechs, which, you know, might have broke the game, but definitely feel very gameplay impacting. Same thing with this sneaking around 
um, sneaking around the, the uh, uh, loadout spots. But so if it's not the fuel, like if it's not the live content, then you kind of have to look into the engine, the underlying systems of this game and asking whether you can better leverage. So I think they're doing the right things in terms of making the cosmetic chase more interesting, um, adding features which just drive better sustained engagement or using resources to work with streamers like they've done with the skins that are specific to certain streamers to, to try, try to leverage that as much as possible. But yeah, I'm not sure if I have really any more specific thoughts on how Epic can flatten out this curve. Yeah, so for me, the season felt a little young. It was a little bit too much Dora the Explorer. I mean, it makes sense given the age of the audience to some degree, but I do think you're gonna start losing your older audience. I think the most important feature change in this season for free-to-play PMs and execs was the integration of Battle Pass Season Pass into a single combined pay-free tier. It's an interesting move, which I assume will now get fairly extensively copied. Uh, there were some pretty major changes, though, as you alluded to. The lobby is now a giant war room. Every feature in the lobby is now a 3D stage. Also, the mo mobile version is just crazy. Definitely a very impressive technical feat, getting all the changes into mobile. You can kind of understand why they needed 17 weeks. But the really crazy feature was that they put in like a freaking NASA HUD customization feature, which literally just blew my mind. So you can literally change and customize your gameplay controls. Uh, technically very impressive, but not sure what the impact of such an expensive feature is, but it was definitely pretty impressive. Also, just as another side note, I'm continually impressed with the size of, of the fonts they use in mobile. I mean, I'm old, but I'm not even sure how well 15-year-olds are able to read those tiny-ass fonts. It's very, very cutting edge, definitely pushing the limits of mobile. And I'm just impressed at how, how, how small that they're able to go. Finally, looks like Fortnite did swipe a few more features from Apex. So they previously copied Apex's ping system and respawn bands. But now in season two, they also swiped the uh, Apex loot vaults and copied the decoy grenade. Anyway, good luck to those guys. We'll see if they can staunch their player loss. But to really keep the things in perspective, it's not like they are really hurting or anything, but definitely down from, from their highs. Anyway, moving I, on. I think some of those, sorry, some of those changes that you're talking about came in season one of chapter two, yep. like the bigger overhaul, which I think is kind of the surprising bit of why it took 17 weeks to do this season uh, when a lot of the changes that you're talking about came in season one. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. And also I think it's, <laughs> it's kind of pointed that, that we probably shouldn't be talking about Fortnite if the major point we have is their font size. <laughs> <laughs> it's like three old farts talking yeah. about, oh, kids these days, <laughs> what are they playing, you know? Yeah. Well, but it's the it, font it, size, man. The font size is really what's really killing right. this game. <laughs> can you ask your son if he can, if he can read those fonts on, on mobile? <laughs> I'll, 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 br I'll bring him in for a consult, sure. Yeah. All right, so moving on to the next article, what the Facebook view through attribution changes. And again, this is by Paul Bowen, the CRO at Algolift, and uh, a friend of this podcast, as well as the Game Makers YouTube channel. And he has written about a pretty well-discussed change amongst the user acquisition community from Facebook impacting user acquisition. And the big change coming up is that Facebook announced that come April 22nd, they will start reporting Facebook view through attributed installs as organic instead of being attributed to Facebook ad campaigns. 
So very quickly, just explain what view through attribution is. Generally speaking, there are two ways to attribute or give credit for an ad that is shown to a potential user. And these two methods are click through and view through attribution. So in simple terms, if a user views an ad and later converts to an install, that ad will be given credit for converting that user. So that's view through attribution. And in click through attribution, it's essentially the same concept, except the user must click an ad instead of just viewing it. Both of these also have look back windows, basically the amount of time after the ad is shown where a click or view is given credit, but that's the basic idea. And the problem raised by Paul in his blog post is that view through attribution or VTA comprises a significant proportion of installs delivered on mobile ad campaigns. So without the data, growth teams won't be able to accurately understand the effectiveness of their ad campaigns via view through attribution. So in the blog post, Paul then discusses a few solutions or workarounds workarounds to this issue, which I'll leave in, as an exercise to the listener to dig into. But what was left unsaid in the blog post, because it was a bit out of the scope of the post, is where the world is he headed given these kinds of initiatives that really are all stemming from a bigger move to remove personally identifiable information. So I do think a deeper conversation from folks in the UA community about the strategic implications of where we are going would be good to set up and I'll work on that for a future podcast, but that's essentially the impact of the new Facebook view through attribution changes. And we'll, we'll work on getting some UA guys to talk about both that as well as the potential future implications given, you know, all the PII stuff that's happening. Eric. Yeah. I mean, this is, I'm, I'm going to pull Tim Sweeney here because I don't really understand this, this part of the business as much as the next guy. Um, but it is a huge concern uh, for the uh, investment community about Facebook in general. Um, so anyway, the, the point here is that with, with all these things that are going against Facebook, you know, GDPR, removing attribution, Apple, Apple location tracking, opt-in, some Google change, and just a ton of scrutiny from around the world, including from Europe and, and North American governments. Will, will this lead to like more of a signal loss for Facebook and impact revenue growth or, or, or capabilities on, on Facebook's end? That's kind of the big question people are asking. And I've been asking around to kind of see how this could be. And this is, again, is I just don't understand this stuff well enough. So I think if we do a podcast, maybe we can talk about these issues. Uh, but the response I'm getting is one, Facebook has a huge advantage because they have deep pockets, right? And it's, and in a regulatory environment like this, smaller companies are the ones that get buried, right? And big companies like Facebook continue to thrive because they just have the resources to throw against every freaking problem, right? Um, the second thing is uh, along these lines is that Facebook is really out there fighting all these regulations. They're not giving in at all. And anything that's gonna impact their business in a significant way, Facebook is going to fight. Um, and then finally, a uh, third one is like many of these rules, particularly on the GDPR are opt-in. And <laughs> what one guy told me was like, dude, every millennial could give a crap about privacy. They opt into everything, you know, like across all their products, they're opting into everything. It's all these old parts that care, you know, that care about their privacy. Right. So, um, so if, if that's the only like real like barrier, then that's not really that effective is kind of was the point that was made. 
Um, and then finally, oh no, the last the second to the last thing, many of the attribution models can be built by the companies themselves. And I don't really understand that, right? In order to help uh, uh, supplement the attribution models, bigger companies will have an advantage because they can create their own, something along those lines. And finally, the age old argument, um, there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> so no matter what happens to Facebook, like the only places that they, you can scale advertising is still on, on Facebook. And so all the, all the major uh, buyers of, of advertising are just going to adjust uh, based upon any type of regulations or issues that come up because places like Twitter, Snap, TikTok, et cetera, are just not big enough networks in order to scale advertising and to have the effectiveness of advertising. So as I said earlier, I'm pulling a Sweeney here because I do not know what I'm talking about and I'm admitting that fact. And so what I'd really like to do is get out people who are really smart on this, like Seifert and what's the other guy that you guys always bring on that's smart? Nebo. Nebo. Let's bring on Nebo and we'll try to make it as stupid simple as possible for people like me with limited brain capacity. And uh, I'd love to be a part of that. So let's do that. But you're an old fart that cares about his privacy. I could give a shit about my privacy. <laughs> I, I, I think a lot of this overblown. I, I heard a lot of like more conspiracy type theories around this, but I, don't, I actually don't even really think it's conspiracy theories is that the one thing I had back, I mean, even 10, 15 years ago is I was saying something along the lines is like, I can't believe the privacy hawks haven't conned down against Facebook, Google and the rest of them already. Right. 10 to 15 years ago when they were collecting every bit of piece of information possible, like where do those privacy hawk goes? Because because I'm so old in the beginning of the Internet, you wouldn't even give anyone your email. Right. Because you were worried that they were going to track you down and like have your information. And privacy hawks were everywhere. Right. Like in the government, like going after these companies and saying, you know, this is not good. But they just disappeared in the advent of Google, Apple. And, and Facebook and et cetera. And so the notion was, and talking to some like kind of senior legal guy was that they had so many people within the Clinton and the Obama and the Bush administrations that were from Facebook and Google and, and Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, like all of them were basically sheltering the, uh, the, uh, the privacy uh, issues. And, and they never came after them. But the sea of change has happened over the last like five years. And now everyone's going after them. I mean, you listen to these people, like there's just a ton of people that are just ripping Facebook and Google to shreds right now, you know, trying to, you know, Carrie Swisher, I don't know if any of you guys listen to Recode, but Carrie Swisher is just on a mission <laughs> to like dismantle these companies. Um, and she's like this pretty premier uh, podcaster slash uh, uh, interviewer type person. But anyway, it's, it's pretty remarkable how the sea of change has happened. And it's not like these issues haven't existed for the last 15, 20 years. They just have been come right up to the forefront in the five years. And I think the um, Trump administration is part of the reason that, that a lot of these uh, voices have been, um, are opening up as kind of part of what people are saying. But anyway, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a political thing. It's, it's really interesting to see. And it'll be interesting to see how it all nets out uh, at the end, but after the break, Bethesda follows Activision in pulling out of GeForce Now, and we will also cover Call of Duty Modern Warfare's new rumored battle royale mode. That's coming up. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Twig. Bethesda follows Activision in pulling their games for GeForce Now. Now, 
First of all, I think GeForce Now is not all that interesting. I think the only, the, what, but I do think that um, people pulling out of this is a good uh, data point as to exactly what we've been talking or what I've been talking about for the last year on this podcast about why these systems will never freaking work, right? So anyway, the news lead is this, is Bethesda along with Activision have pulled their games off of GeForce Now. Um, a service, uh, basically fundamentally, you pay like $5 a month to stream your library of games um, from Steam and other services wherever you want, whenever you want. Very cool. Um, They're reporting kind of a disagreement between the two companies over the platform's model, uh, which allows you to stream games that you've bought on, the, on these other platforms. Um, and while I think you know, the service looks a little bit more friendly than Stadia, uh, The Verge basically says the publishers are not playing ball unless uh, cloud gamers users aren't buying a separate copy of the game. So basically, fundamentally, if you're not buying a game, you're not going to be playing it on the service, right? You, and, and they don't want to support the service uh, without buying a game on that service. Um, so there was a quote, there was a, a bullshit PR st statement from NVIDIA basically saying people pulling their games from the service are going to be few and far between or some nonsense like that. But <laughs> the reality of it is this. I have to admit, when I first saw the service, I was like, holy shit, this is actually a pretty good, good idea. You know, for five bucks a month, I basically can download uh, and play my, play my Steam games anywhere with ray tracing, right? Which I don't have, which I've said before. I actually even considered signing up. Um, and obviously for the sake of research, of course. But at the end of the day, I still don't get this to, to some degree. Because what I realize is at home, I have a PC gaming rig. I have a Razer gaming rig for PC on the road. So in what fucking circumstance am I actually going to use this service? I just, I, I'm still am completely baffled by what is the use case of this type of service. But $5 a month but is you're not, not But you're not every gamer, right? Like, <laughs> not everybody has a... Uh, amazing tower and top of the line razor that they can take on the road. Dude, if you're a Steam user, okay, yeah. and you have a library of games that you could justify paying $5 a month for, I mean, isn't there the overlap like pretty freaking massive, you know? Yeah. And you know, you know what I did instead? You know what this did? I bought a freaking ray tracing card, right? I, I spent 700 bucks because I'm a PC gamer. I ha I'm, <laughs> I'm an old man. I have money to spend. Like, that's what people do, right? Yeah. Anyway. That's my, that's my problem. But anyway, the point is here is this, is that what, what people are not reporting on, what seems so obvious to me, and maybe they are, or maybe I just didn't read it, is that the reason these guys are pulling their game because they're not getting any revenue from it, right? And people will say, oh, well, if you've already bought the game on Steam, you should be able to use it and play it wherever you want. No, that's not the way it works. <laughs> you know, it's like you don't have the rights to play it wherever, whenever you want, right? You have the rights to play it on where you purchase it from. I mean, I mean, check your, your, your terms of service or whatever the freaking you know, the user thing is. So at the end of the day, what these publishers want, they want a piece. You know, they want to take a piece of that five bucks, you know, and, and why not? They deserve it. Why should their content be building out a subscription service for NVIDIA? It makes no sense, you know? Sure, they want to be consumer friendly and allow them to play it wherever they want, whenever they want in the best possible way. But, you know, the publishers are in the driving seat. They have the leverage here, you know, and... Um, and, and frankly, they already got their money from this user, so they can just say fuck off to uh, NVIDIA, right? So 
this is I, this is why you know these services are going to be really tough to to get up. It's not only the use case, as I said before, um, but also like everyone wants to get their pound of flesh, right? You know, Nvidia, Nvidia is spending a gazillion dollars building up this infrastructure, and what they want to do is charge five dollars a month to get some of that money back, right? Um, and even at scale, that five dollars a month this doesn't seem enough to offset the costs associated. But along with that, you have like other people that are going to go after this money. You have Steam, you have the publishers, and then you have bandwidth costs and hardware costs. I mean, how much of that five dollars you think is left? But by all of that, it's not. It's all. It's 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 unprofitable fundamentally. So, so I do think this service is far more compelling than Stadia, at least um, in some ways, at least for this narrow niche of the audience. Um, but, you know, again, I don't see where the target market really is here, nor really I do, do see uh, this business model kind of working at scale fundamentally. But, I, but I've said, I've argued many times is that over time, I think this will change. I just think within the next five years, I don't see any of these type of things really uh, thriving, but what do you think, guys? Am I crazy? Yeah, uh, one thing that I did find interesting about their pricing, um, at least they mentioned things like streaming limits. Um, so in the free tier, you're actually limited to I think one hour sessions, and paid only gets it up to something like six hours. Um, so they actually try to limit the amount that you can stream in these, because of course, like the 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 unit economics issue like you're actually streaming per hour that can get incredibly expensive if you're playing games like destiny so that can easily get over to five dollars a month if you're actively playing on something like 4k um i signed up for this because i i agree with you like linking streaming to an existing content library that i already own makes far more sense to me as a player right um why i think like xcloud steam link and ps4 all remote play are all like instantly better options than stadia um especially when you're at home you can play on your home machine uh, you have in-home streaming if you want to play on different screens and then you have this remote play if you want and then you just tie that towards one of their subscriptions so xbox gold or ps plus and that kind of thing so you you have to pay for that flexibility um, but the reality is that like Steam Link, Remote Play, all these haven't actually caused any stir so far because they're all offered for free as kind of a platform feature. Because like already right now, you can play games in your Steam library remote from your own PC. It's just not playing off the cloud, right? It's not playing off the cloud of NVIDIA. Um, the one selling feature here, of course, is like ray tracing. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to, I can't afford a, a ray tracing card, so maybe I'll consider it for playing uh, cyberpunk, but then it really comes down to the tech and whether the latency and the compression then have more of an impact. Um, also one thing that I'm kind of racking my brain about here is around save syncing. So if like, one use case that I have for this is playing destiny. Um, so I have my PC save and Stadia, you know, didn't do that for me because it didn't uh, actually save my or sync my save from my PC. So now if I have save syncing, does the developer have to implement this or is it something that they actually scrape off my PC and then sync that to the cloud or is there no cross save and then the whole service doesn't make any sense to me? Dude, you, you disqualified the service just from the get-go by eliminating an hour of gameplay? I mean, are you joking No, that's me? the free tier. That's the free tier. So when, if you're just trialing out the NVIDIA GeForce Now, you're limited to one hour sessions. When you go to the paid tier, then it increases those sessions. To six hours a day? 
to six hours per session. Uh, I'm not oh, sure session. how, right. like, it sounds like there's some, like, uh, what was it? There's some queue or something that if you want to get into the cloud streaming, you, you go on to a queue. And if you're in the paid tier, you get priority. So there might be some sort of like waiting period, which I agree that would fundamentally break the, the service if you're now waiting to get access. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But if, like this compared to Steam Link or to xCloud or to PS4 Remote Play, right? Like those are all services already that PlayStation, Microsoft, and Steam offer to players for completely free that publishers, right, are already already fine with because it's part of the platform. Yeah, but the minute they try to charge it for it, right? exactly. if they try, if they try to charge a subscription for that bullshit, yeah. you know, the publishers are going in for their pound of flesh, right, regardless, right? They're like, and so... I. I Anyway, that's kind of my point about this whole thing is it's like pretty obvious to me that that these publishers want money, right? Yeah. And and clearly between the beta period and and the launch, they did not negotiate with these publishers for their content and so they're just all pulling out until you know, they get the business model set up because they certainly again don't want to support a subscription model without getting compensated for it regardless of you know, as I said earlier, the ownership and etc. So um, but I don't know. It seems very obvious to me and maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but like, let's, uh, let's see what happens. I, I actually, I think I will try this thing. Actually, once I get my card today, I actually will compare and contrast, uh, the games that I own that have ray tracing, uh, from doing it on my own machine. And then this will be an unofficial <laughs> test. I, I just don't see you playing on your phone. <laughs> Right, like I see you maybe trying it out on your couch in your house, but I don't really see you running around the world and playing games. No, no, I think, sorry, I think that's stupid from the get-go. I That type of cross-play, I'm just not on board. What I'm saying is I want to know what the quality of the ray tracing is. I want to yeah. know the quality of the service to see if it replicates because certainly Stadia did not replicate no. any type of quality yeah. that I was getting even on a console. So like... Yeah. Um, I, I imagine that NVIDIA has done a better job of replicating that experience uh, from a PC. So, uh, and now I have the games and the tech to uh, test it out. So yeah. But just speculating a little further, right? Like with say xCloud from Microsoft, mm -hmm. they add xCloud as a feature to a higher tier subscription for Xbox Games Gold, right? Like mm -hmm. in theory over time, Xbox Games Gold, was a same sort of setup where Xbox was getting the subscription revenue for their platform off of the content of all of these different publishers, right? People right. want Xbox Gold because they want to play Call of Duty online. Um, so, no, no, no. so go wait, ahead. Wait, wait, xCloud Gold, you mean? Xbox Gold, right? Like the, oh, yeah, the ability to play online on Xbox or... Right, okay. Yeah, so already there's a subscription for that platform, right, that publishers help build up because nobody wants Xbox Gold unless they're playing Call of Duty, right? Um, but if now in the future, they add xCloud to that subscription, but they add it, say, to a higher paid tier. So now not like, say Xbox Gold is 15 bucks a month. There's a 20, 20 bucks a month subscription that includes the ability to stream any game on your Xbox remotely through the cloud. Does that now have a, an issue for publishers? Are publishers now going to be pushing Microsoft for a cut? Yeah. I mean, I think my, yeah, publishers, if, if third-party publisher games are included within that service yeah. as a way of a means of, of selling that service, sure, they, they want a piece of that.
I mean, I hear what you're saying. Like there's, 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 um, yeah, the, the, you're, you're basically saying the third parties are basically selling their, uh, ex, uh, the, ser- the, the original service just because of the online play, right? That's like part of the thing. And it's actually enabling their third parties to play. But, I, but when it comes to content, they're going to lock that down, right? Mm-hmm. They, they don't, they want to make sure that in the future they do, they're not giving away their content for free, you know, yeah. or, or, the perception is it's free with these services or and again, they just want to be compensated for it. Yeah. Cause I'm assuming like the biggest issue with this NVIDIA GeForce thing is just that it's, it's NVIDIA, right? Like it's a whole separate service outside of steam. That's scraping your, your good old games, your, your origin right. games, your Epic games and making five bucks a month off of that. Right. Instead of this being included within Steam or included within PS4 or Microsoft, then okay, now now have some negotiations with pubs. But yeah. uh, so far, yeah. that's been okay. Yeah, and you know, the other notion is that um, that we, this actually could be true at the same time. Basically, is that the publishers are not comfortable with providing their content on a service that they're unclear as to what the quality will be. Right, mm-hmm. so because GeForce now is so small, like they don't want to risk delivering Call of Duty in a way that is is not ideal and doesn't play well because that could cause them problems in the back end, right? From their customers that have purchased the game, right? If it doesn't work properly. Yeah. I, I mean, those two could be true at the same time. I just think it's more likely a business model issue than it is a technical issue because i don't think this is going to scale to level that matters to anybody so yeah but anyway it'll be interesting i mean but i I guess what my higher level point is this is exactly what we've been talking about right like these these are the reasons that this shit's never going to work right because you can't get the content players on board you can't scale this and make it profitable right and they want five dollars a month because they need to pay for all this infrastructure costs that they're building like you know it's not free to (laughs) build out this infrastructure or pay for this stupid uh, bandwidth, right? The limit, the limits on bandwidth are clear indicator that one hour limit. I mean, that's nothing, right? Um, And that's a real indicator of what it costs to run these things. Right. Uh, And I don't know what the data is or what the numbers are, but it's, it's, it's astronomical uh, for, for trying to build a subscription service at $5 a month. Right. So anyway, just more of a, confirmation and obviously i have confirmation bias on this because i've been railing about <laughs> yeah. this for so long continue but, to be emboldened all right yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, i'll just I, start calling you tim sweeney from now on. <laughs> yeah exactly okay right, last article call of duty to launch free Warzone battle royale mode um this actually may even be breaking by the time we publish this but uh, rumors are spreading about a battle royale mode coming to call of duty modern warfare um, they actually, um, Activision just this morning was talking about um, targeting a Reddit user who posted an image online speculating that there's a battle royale mode coming up. Um, there's a mysterious locked mode in the middle of the game right now in the middle of the menu. Um, Spec Ops mode, if you've played it, like, features a plane that drops you um, onto an area of a map that <laughs> feels already pretty battle royale So. It's very, very likely this is launching very soon, and this has already been in the works for a long time. Uh, the rumor is is that they're going to be trying to outdo other Battle Royale players by going with 200 active players on a map that is giant in size. Um, that would link together a lot of the different Modern Warfare maps currently. 
Um, sounds like a really cool idea, but I would still say that when you compare this to Apex and to Fortnite, just the amount of modes that they have besides just the 100 play, um, I would rather go in that direction. 200 players, it's not like with Battle Royale, I'm really looking for an additional 40 minutes of play on top of my already current 40 minutes of, of uh, action. Rumor is that it will offer a free version that is going to be restricted only to this mode. Um, so you'll be able to pick up the game for free if you haven't picked it up already. Uh, but still uses the same battle passes and MTX as the base game. Um, they were actually trying this out last year with Black Ops 4 uh, with limited time windows where players could play this mode for free, uh, clearly in response to Apex and Fortnite at that time, eating into their post-launch engagement. Uh, they did one in, for a week in January and one for a month in April. Um, but when you actually look into the metrics that are publicly available for those types of time periods, they don't really show much. Like there's not much of a jump in Twitch engagement during those periods of time. Um, and Gomstadt, who looks at PS4 ownership and trophy earn rates, um, basically show that there really wasn't any jumps in ownership during that time. Um, so, you know, one point there is Black Ops 4 was definitely underperforming at that point already. Um, so while it wasn't successful, like Modern Warfare is a far better game. So we should see much bigger uplift. Um, so personally, I'll be tracking this very, very closely to see if this actually happens, especially if they go for this unrestricted free mode um, and just leave it on, on for, you know, up until I'm assuming the next Call of Duty. And I would expect that the potential loss of sales of the, offering this free mode um, and losing all the, the, the uh, potential sales for, for some players will be or outweighed by the free audience multiplier by getting, you know, the up to 100 million that we saw in Apex coming into this game, um, looking at their in-game spend LTV, which we've heard is pretty good for Modern Warfare, and the potential upsell for these free players to actually go and purchase the full game. Um, so I'll be tracking this closely. Eric? Yeah, I mean, this is another huge thing for Activision uh, on the investment community side. Uh, Wall Street thinks this is going to be absolutely massive. Um, and, you know, and frankly, on the success of so far of Call of Duty, I think uh, Modern Warfare anyway, that uh, this is a good, you know, a big thing for them to keep that momentum going. For me, you know, I'm not really too sure if this is going to be as big of a needle mover as people think. I think between Apex, Fortnite, and PUBG, it seems like kind of we have all bases covered for this audience. Um, I think they need to create something super innovative with modes and gameplay to differentiate the offering. And I'm hearing exactly, I think, what Adam is saying is that, you know, bigger maps and more players is not really necessarily the answer to that. Um, and then on the buy and buy, I'm hearing, you know, like the rumors out there is that this is not a very compelling offering um, uh, on a relative basis. And a lot of these delays, because I think this thing was supposedly going to be released with the last season, uh, it's, it's coming in hot. So uh, we will see if they can execute against it. But after saying all that, like given their current momentum and the number of people that are actually playing Modern Warfare versus what we're playing last year's game, this is their shot, right? This is their shot to really capture this audience and, and engage them and keep them going and pull them away from Apex and um, Fortnite and PUBG, et cetera. So uh, perhaps they can, and perhaps, you know, this will be it. But if it is what I think it's going to be and what I've heard it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be nearly as compelling and not, they likely will not have the staying power that something like uh, Apex and uh, PUBG and Fortnite have. So, JK. Cool. Yeah, for me, the only comment I have is that I really hope that as Call of Duty moves towards 
or tries to move towards more of a free-to-play monetization model, I'd hate to see more bastardization of the fiction and the art style. So, you know, I'd hate to see like cartoony, weird pink neon ski outfit, floss dance, stuff like that. And so we'll, we'll see what happens, but you know, I'm just speaking for me, but like some of the stuff that I, that we see like in COD mobile, like the Valentine stuff, the carrot thief draw sale, to me, that's just not call of duty. And not that I'm as big of a fan as you are, Eric, but to me, it's a little bit disturbing. So that's the only comment I've got. <laughs> you got a problem with their cosmetics? Like uh, as I've written in the, in the, the article on shooters, right? Like, the value, like you have to create ma major changes to your cosmetics in order for players to care. That's the problem. And like it or not, <laughs> neon pink ski outfits, giant bunny suits, right? Like cupids. Yeah, this, this is the stuff that people oh, actually God. buy in terms of cosmetics. Yeah. And makes me you know, like unfortunately, we can't monetize off of old dudes that don't like story, <laughs> right? Or don't like like neon ski suits. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. I, I think we're out of the core demo here there, yeah. Joseph. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah, this will be an interesting test, you know, with a real active install base, can they create something compelling that gets people engaged with the free, it, I, I do believe it's going to be free to play. So that actually brings out even a bigger audience. So I think it'll be hyped a lot, particularly at launch, but it's something that could die out really fast. That's kind of my expectations right now, so. Yeah, something to kick the hornet's nest here too is around Call of Duty 2020, um, rumored to be Black Ops 5 with yeah. the developer turmoil. If they invest heavily in the live content for um, this mode, right, in order to actually sustain it against Apex and against Fortnite, right, like are they now going to be starting to eat into that next generation? Are they now thinking about like what modes are going into the next game? I don't know. <laughs> I've said that exact same thing. <laughs> so I, I do think, you know, it's like you're like a victim of your own success, right? The more successful this game is, the less successful the next one will be, right? <laughs> so it's like it's really well, hard. Yeah, on, on relative terms, but I'm even thinking like if, if they're struggling a lot with 2020, um, enough to get like to the same multiplayer feature set that's here, do they just keep running this free service for like the next year after this? Yeah. Or does that then completely eat into this? Because now, like, there's a clear reason why they didn't do this at launch, right? They didn't have a free Battle Royale version at launch eating into their, right, eating right. Into their sales. And, and that was debated. That was not a done deal. They actually were considering doing it right at launch to build up the biggest, as big of an audience as possible. And I think cooler heads prevailed because I think that would have been a really bad idea. Um, but, uh, but the notion is that, and this has been a problem in the past for Call of Duty, is that particularly with Black Ops historically, certainly not this last time, but like, is that the more MAU, DAUs you have with Modern Warfare, um, the less people will be engaged in the next game, right? So it's, it, there is a certain zero sum here that, that needs to be um, identified. And it's kind of the same thing that we talk about in mobile all the time when we talk about like uh, Supercell is like, if modern warfare is monetizing at a lower level than $60 a unit, right? it's like, like you don't want users being playing freaking modern warfare. You want them playing, buying the new game, right? I mean, it's like, it's literally that easy from a math perspective. So to the extent they lose millions of people 
and they keep playing this game that they're monetizing lightly on versus paying $60 plus for the new game, it's really bad news bears for, for Activision um, going forward. And if what I'm hearing about this next Call of Duty is true and it's not that great of quality, I think this is a huge risk for them, generally speaking. So there we go. We shall All see. Right. I think that's a wrap, guys, unless there's anything else. We are complete. All right. See you. Laters. Talk to you all later. Bye.